Well, this is day 10 of COVID. Richard, I was going to say, Rory, have you tried a different pack of COVID tests? Let's not even go there. The treatment centre where it was all showing positive, we had to get rid of them. Yeah, I can believe it's possible, but I'll try anyway. I'll try a different test. Anyway, good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Morning, Ronnie. Morning, Aaron. And morning, Gareth. Good morning. And we're online again because I've got bloody COVID. And I've still got COVID and I had it last week. But thanks to the wonders of modern technology and also the fact that the door to my office wasn't locked, I believe Ronnie had managed to get in there. Yeah, I managed to get Liz and, and Liz was, I thought she was going to give me the code, right? And then she, she got up out of her chair and she walked me all, all the way down here. And I thought, yeah, you could just give me the code, like. But then she told me, that. so I'm thinking all this stuff on the way. I'm thinking, you can't trust me with the code. I don't know if that's some kind of addict thinking or something. But I was like, you know, I go in the room all the time. But she gets to the door and she says, by the way, I don't know the code. I've got a fob. I'm like, that makes sense. No, it's all fobs, Ronnie. And also... I don't know why my office is Fort Knox, but it has a, a unique fob thing and it also has a lock on the door. Yeah. So if I'm not there and it's and the, the cleaner hasn't been in, if it's locked, it's locked and no one can get in. Anyway, how was your week otherwise? You know how my week always goes, so I'm going to pass on pass on to the next person so they can have their say and then I'll come in at the Rather end. Rather than the, yes, I've done this and I've done that. Yeah, OK, we'll bypass you for now, Ronnie, then. Actually, no, no, I will say I've had a very good week this week. Good. My restlessness and discontentness and that business is slowly fading away. So hopefully that's going to continue to improve. I don't know if you, well, you would remember last week we were talking about how I felt restless and stuff. So this week it's yeah, a lot yeah. better. I've got a resentment this week, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is a resentment which has been simmering. It's going to kill me, you know. It's been simmering for a long time and it's boiling up. But yeah, I've got a resentment. But there you go. I'll this say, you know you've got it. I'll mention no names and I'll mention no places and mention no things. But yeah, it's fire. Try writing it down. Oh, actually, yeah, I'll print it out. I set four thing chart, so I'm going to have to write it all down. And I'll, I've actually done that for that reason because mm. obviously it's so much to do with me. You know, this program tells us if, if you've got a problem with somebody or whatever, with something, you have to look at what my problem is. And if I haven't got a problem, then it's not my problem. Yeah. So, you know, this program is, uh, it's good, but it's very uh, militant. It's not fair sometimes. I want it to be someone else's fault and I want to just take it out on them and say, you're <laughs> the fucking problem. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. all good. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a you problem, yeah. <laughs> not me problem. It's definitely, definitely a you problem, not me problem. I suppose, Roddy, with resentments, it's, I have to remember that my resentments belong to me. No matter how much I might project them onto other people, I still own my resentments, which is why it's often that I need to look at me rather than projecting wildly onto other people and trying to find a reason why it's their fault and not mine. Do you not find that like when you have to make an amendment like this i don't know if this is applicable to all but it's like somebody was talking to me about this with this particular resentment they said well you've got to make an amends i said well i've done nothing to make an amends with this person i'm not going to go and make up an amends just to make an amends to make myself feel better 
So there's no amends to be made. I haven't acted out or anything like that. But he'll be all right. It's quite funny, really. When I look at it, I, I look at myself and be like, what a fucking child. <laughs> That's the amend then, isn't it, really? Like, because amend, if you look it up in the dictionary, amend means to change. Yeah. It's to alter. So, like, the amends might not be saying sorry to this person, but it might but be to... like, I need to change my behaviour. Yeah. So the amends is to yourself and then directly to them because by you changing your behaviour, you won't be able to look at dick in front of them. That's sweet, isn't it? I do look at another angle of it. I do have to think, bloody it, you're acting like a child in school. But then I always think, well, they did tell me that my emotional awareness, emotional state, emotional maturity stopped when I started using and it started to get better. It carried on then when I stopped. So I'm obviously 16 and a half now. <laughs> so I mean, Catch up. <laughs> 16 and a half. Well, yeah, that's my week. Thanks, Rich. Next. <laughs> I'll get rid of mine. Aside from the fact that I've been sitting here with COVID, just to keep a sense of Neil believing that he's still involved, I'm now writing our new theme tune and I'm using the ting. So the <laughs> ting, which was famously bought at Christmas and has been used for various other projects, is now being used for the new podcast theme tune. Easy well, work, not really, because he gets, he, you know, he spreads the word and stuff. Well, he's there and he's omnipresent, isn't he? And... I hope he's listening. Oh, I do hope so, yeah. And I'm sure he'll be back at some point. Believe me, there's always editing I have to make you all sound as professional as possible. <laughs> well, we're, we're professional addicts, aren't we? The, you know, got the slang and everything. Yeah, yeah, but you're here for your professionalism and that's for your expertise. Anyway, I'm sure we've all had a better week than me. Do tell. Well, I've copped a couple of resentments this week as well. That's not bad. <laughs> Three in the room already. <laughs> Only a couple. No, just thinking about when Ronnie mentioned it then, I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I have. But it's been kind of hard to navigate. I did act out a little bit, not too bad. Just I went a bit moody. But a meeting helped me out, and other recovering addicts showed me a bit of love, and ended up being able to navigate that a bit. The other one is yet to be navigated fully. <laughs> we'll see when we go to have house group on Friday. What do you think it is, just for the purpose of people listening, actually, what do you think it is about meetings that diminishes a resentment? Sometimes when I get a resentment, I bring it all back to myself and how I feel I'm not good enough and I feel like a child and I can't act in a way where I can assert myself. There could be various things, you know what I mean? It could be the share... It could be just the people at the meeting that come up. They usually notice anyway. I can't hide my emotions very well. And because I'm connected with the meetings now and I know people there, they just come and give me a bit of love, really, and making me feel more a part of. And when I feel a part of, I feel better about myself, I guess. Yeah. It's absolutely about not being on your own with it, isn't it? Yeah. And knowing you're not on your own with it. I mean, I didn't want to be at the meeting on Friday. It was my home group. I love the meeting. And the resentment was with someone who was in the meeting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I kind of forced myself. And to be honest, it wasn't even that bad. And my part to play in it was probably that I should have just spoke to the person in, in the first place about how I was feeling. And it, it would have got sorted out in seconds. Because the person in question 
didn't really do anything. It's usually my head that goes west and I start adding things or making things up in my head that aren't even there. You know, the reality of the situation is that nothing really was happened. It was just my head that sent it there. I don't know whether that's my addiction or mental health or what, maybe a combination of the two. I mean, we spoke about it the other week about the mental health and the using and stuff like that. And like, it's not going to serve me to find out which one it is, just to be vigilant about both, really. Definitely. It's madness trying to distinguish what's mental health and what's addiction. But actually, addiction is a bit of mental health as well. Yeah. It's all in the same thing. A lot of people in recovery have got some diagnosis or some mental health issue. It is hard to say, well, is it this or is it that? And to be fair, people without mental health issues, they probably have got them without they haven't been diagnosed or don't realise it, still have the same problems. That's what you were talking about there, when you imagine a story in your head. I mean, that's a resentment that starts and so you're re-sending, so my response is it's like re-sending the information through you. And each time you're sending it, you add a bit to it and a bit more gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I think I can create a scenario and I've done it where I've been proven wrong, thank God. And I've built up a whole picture in my head of what's going on in a certain situation. And then within a couple of minutes of speaking to a particular person, it's completely all just been washed down the drain. What the fuck was I thinking? That's all wrong. And it's quite a (laughs) breath of fresh air when that happens. So I have to be mindful in the future, but it's still hard not to get into that. Because once the ball starts rolling, you don't know if it's your head playing tricks on you or whether it's really happening. And it's what you do. It's far more about what you do about it. Because the cycle on a resentment in terms of addictive thinking is exactly what you've just described. You end up with a situation and you play it again and again and again, you keep adding things to it. That is addictive alcoholic thinking in a nutshell. And as it gets more and more expansive, you've only got to see the person and they've only got to breathe and they're doing something wrong. And that's why it's so paramount to do something about it. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you go and sit down with one person and talk about it. It doesn't matter whether you go and... (coughs) And yeah, you can effectively just go and sit in a meeting and listen. And chances are you'll hear something relevant because we can't see beyond our own brains when we pick up things like that. I can't see beyond my own brain. Therefore, I'm making more and more shit that revolves around this one thing, all of which is coming from me. And until I talk to someone else about it, that's just going to get worse. And resentment literally, of course, means to refeel. So every time you go through it again, you are feeling it again. And because of the difficulties we have with emotions, we feel it again, we feel it again. It reaches bloody boiling point. It's of paramount importance to actually talk about it, isn't it? When you're in that kind of mindset of resentment, everything else in the world just seems wrong as well. It's not just that one person I've got a resentment with. Now, every driver on the road is a nightmare every person i'm into contact with is doing the wrong thing like you say breathing too heavily the noise that their nose makes you know i want to scratch their face off every part of my body hurts everyone's just wrong everything's just wrong (laughs) it's like all springing from that one 
well, no, resentment. Yeah. And that's why they say it will kill you. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, the rest of your life, which is okay compared to what it was like before, suddenly isn't like you say, man. Yeah, everything goes off chemistry. I think Richard's right. It doesn't really matter whether it's coming from like a place of mental health or whether it's coming from a place of addiction. It's like having addictions. I mean, I don't need to know whether I was born with it or mm. whether I developed it or whether it's a product of my environment. All I need to know is I've got it and that I'm going to have to do something about it. It doesn't really matter where it came from, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like getting cancer and then going, I'm not going to go into chemotherapy treatment just yet because I'm going to try and work out exactly what point the cancer invaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, how did the cell revive? Really, really yeah. Just like you're going to die from it if you don't do something about it. And it's the same with resentment. The big book talks about it, doesn't it? It's the number one offender. Ooh. It kills more alcoholics and addicts than anything else. And it's oh, so it true. Absolutely, because... I mean, resentment, they say, it's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. Because what you're doing is you're giving it to yourself and you are fueling it in yourself. And, of course, for alcoholics and for addicts, if they get into that cycle and stay in it, they will drink and they will use. And it's almost inevitable. In the same way as any lack of acceptance, it's inevitable that they'll drink and use. And the resentment thing is so easy to get into. It's like... Ronnie, Aaron, what you're describing this week, it's a perfect example of how to actually do what it says in the book. Because if you come in and you're saying, oh, I've got a resentment, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you saying, oh, I've got a resentment. It means there's something bloody right with you. Because if you've actually done that and said it, it means you're actually doing what the bloody programme says. And ultimately it is about doing. And even if we get those resentments, and I get them still now where I think I'm never fucking forgiving him. And three days later, oh, all right then, because <laughs> I've actually done something about it. Yeah, yeah. What it? would be a real issue is if, Ronnie, in six months' time, you sat down before we started recording and said, right, here's my list. <laughs> and this huge list of resentments were listed out and how all these horrible wrongs have been done unto you. And I'd be thinking, oh, shit, here goes another one. It's really, it's tit for tat when I think about it. I mean, it's a simmering resentment, which I know has been going on for a while. And I know the person has also got a resentment against me. And it's just like, <laughs> why don't you just fucking fight? Like, not fight, you know. Like, like, Maybe we should have an amends party. Yeah. Just get back yeah. out. Everyone just hands to each other. <laughs> but I've disclosed it now. Because when I disclose it, I realise how silly it is and when you don't disclose it you don't realize it's silly do you and then you can you start thinking in your head about working i mean you know i was picturing people falling in hot tar mats and stuff like that yeah falling down seven from three floors not one three flights so i'm beating people to death with tire irons and all sorts of things when you start planning all this stuff isn't it when you start planning your great revenge. <laughs> yeah. Doing things that you know you're never going to do. Yeah. Showing the world that you're some superhero. Yes, look at me. <laughs> I suppose it's what people do when they're growing up, when the kids are, you know, they want to be the big, want to be right all the time. Have you ever got caught in the cycle where someone you're closely associated with has a resentment and you get caught up in it? because you start believing them and you end up co-signing the person without knowing the full facts. Not since I've been in recovery, I don't think, but for me, when I was younger and in the madness using and drinking and stuff like that, I'd meet someone, they say, oh yeah, you don't want to talk to Aaron, he's all right, whatever. And I'd be yeah. like, 
yeah, you know, and then I'll be like, yeah, no, Aaron, yeah, don't talk to Aaron. And I've been telling other people, do you know what I mean? Don't talk to him, he's a right dick or whatever. It's like, I've not actually met Aaron. <laughs> all I know is that Ronnie had a bit of an issue with him. And then all of a sudden, I've now got an issue with him. And everyone I know needs to have an issue with him because it's like, like yeah, yeah, let's ride the resentment trail. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. And that's what it was. But it's like continuing that stuff on with absolutely no evidence to back it up. Yeah. Contemporary to investigation stuff, isn't it? It's like, I mean, I've always tried to not take on other people's opinions of other people. Yeah. And I was quite good at it. What's happened is I've got a close friend who I started to slip into listening. And I was like, oh, OK, this one's this, that one's that, and that one, the one's the other. And this person will co-sign my bullshit. Mm. And I know it. So when I'm not happy with someone, I go, this fucking person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's not healthy. I have spoken to my friend and said, look, none of this triangling shit anymore, Max. It's causing me pain. <laughs> causing me pain. Yeah. Do you think that on that one, Ronnie, do you think you can get into denial about someone else's bullshit? Definitely, man. If it fits in with your little... Yeah, if it works. Yeah. If yeah. it works. Again, I've signed up. You know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm seeing... I'm starting to see stuff about myself which I didn't even know I was doing, not very, very manipulative. And I don't even know I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm just like making, I'm real moulding this whole situation to the perfect thing. I don't even realise I'm doing it. And, you know, that's not a good trait. Being manipulative, not a good trait, unless it's for good. And it's only till recent, not recently, probably in the last six or eight months, I'm noticing those little traits. I'm thinking, come on, you got to be fucking careful here because you're sleeping. <laughs> you know, I was a car salesman for 25 years, so it's like it's kind of ingrained into my head to manipulate. Right. And it's like someone called me a magician can make people see things, aren't they? I'm starting to realise that would be to my detriment, you know, in the future will be. Because you're creating a world that's not really there. You can do it. It's crazy. And then you have to eat yourself in the head and say, this is all too complicated. And there's yeah, one in the yeah. meeting says, it's a simple program for complicated minds. Yeah. <laughs> reality break. That's <laughs> not real, stop it. <laughs> this is not real. No, I don't think that's going on your head isn't real. <laughs> and then I look out of the sky and look at all the other stars and the planets and I think, what is going on with us on this planet? <laughs> what on earth? It's mad that we should be talking about this heaven today, mate, because I'm... I wrote step four out and I shared it with my sponsor yesterday and double checked with myself and double checked with my higher power. Have I been far? Have I been honest? Complete, yeah. So I shared this step five, got it all out of the way, went to a meeting last night and then copped a resentment within 10 minutes. Fantastic. <laughs> sitting in the meeting with three women in front of me, all whispering to each other and chuckling to each other and looking at their phones from the moment the meeting started until the moment they left and it was just like why are you here yeah, yeah <laughs> like couldn't yeah, you have yeah. done this in your living room rather than yeah, yeah. in front of me because it was drawing me away from hearing the guy sharing like my attention kept being pulled away to these women i was like what are you doing here go away i couldn't say anything and then i'm <laughs> sitting at the end of it going i've got to go back to my step four now and rewrite this resentment no. I <laughs> just shared it out with it <laughs> it's a really important point this because you go through step four you write all this stuff out when i wrote mine at the time right i thought well i'm not necessarily forgiving all these people and i still had that in my head while i was writing it i got through everything that was there 
went through it in a certain way. It wasn't exactly big book for me. It was more about what happened, how did it affect me, how did it affect everyone else, that kind of model. But following it, of course, you've then got step six and seven, which for many people look like a couple of lines, but they're actually the biggest job of all because it's doing those that stops you copying so many resentments in future because it's one thing for me to own my previous behavior and identify my previous behavior it's another thing entirely to change my default settings and I'm sure you're not the first person who's gone from doing a step five into a meeting and copying a resentment (laughs) I did share it with my sponsor after the meeting (laughs) <laughs> it was just like that's typical just spend all that time writing them yeah. on that and it's like yeah yeah they're not all gone mate <laughs> it's an it's another one <laughs> so what are you gonna do with this one <laughs> it's funny because i copped a resentment in the same meeting from someone else doing the exact same thing <laughs> <laughs> was it the same people no <laughs> do you know i was just thinking where was i was sitting in that meeting but i was definitely not on my phone because i can't get distracted really really easy and stuff but there's another stuff twists my head up as well. So then after the meeting, I'm thinking, right, you know, Aaron's copped a resentment with one guy. I've copped a resentment with three women. That's four people. There's 40 people in the room. It's like 10% of the meeting's giving resentment out. <laughs> and of course, what you don't know, Grant, is that someone else on the other side of the room has picked up a resentment against you. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. there's actually a whole load of them flying up in the air above this meeting invisibly that's why we should have a resentment party we should just have a meeting once a week where everyone can just get around and cop a resentment with someone i believe in those meetings right i'm telling you there's hundreds of resentments because you only have to get somebody sharing a little bit too long maybe oh. after the bell rings wrong <laughs> and yeah. still sharing but it's like wow why are you actually because i want to know why somebody's doing something that they shouldn't necessarily be doing i want to know why they're doing that and ask them why do you think you should be able to do that but then why are the time limits not applicable to you yeah i was waiting for them to go (laughs) bing the bell again i really want to say ring the bell again ricky (laughs) (laughs) and i'm doing doing all that oh you've got bell ringing going on we have to but the thing is that we've got bell ringing going on because of that person because you know we only have like 15 oh it's always the way isn't it it's a 15 or 20 minute share on a monday night and one person consistently shares for about 10 minutes and a share back and it's like you know you're doing half a share and it's a newcomer's meeting you're not a newcomer instead of a three minute share you're doing a 10 minute share and you're doing that consistently every week so we introduced the bell system to curtail that person sharing for 10 minutes every week saying the same thing every week as well and everyone in the room copying a resentment about it i mean everyone in the room, the whole room. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking and so, so we put the bell in place and it's like ding right your time's up and he still carries on for another four minutes <laughs> but you do get it sometimes you find yourself sitting in a meeting and there's someone talking and they're still talking and you drift in and out and eventually i'm saying to myself what the fuck are you actually talking about? (laughs) Because it's like sitting in a parish council meeting. They appear to be going round and round in circles like a dog chasing its tail. Why are you still talking? You're offering nothing but the wasting of time. Information, it's just words at this point. (laughs) You can say anything you want. 
I've literally got up at that meeting after listening to a couple of minutes of this person and gone outside and had a cigarette and come back in and they're still going. Still very. <laughs> <laughs> if you've got something really important to say or not anything to say and you're just using words. <laughs> it is nevertheless really important to say this. Doing step five does not make resentment per se go away. It's always there. You're always going to cop them. It's more a question of how you learn to process them. And it's only over time and practice that you learn to do that. And also, I think it's important to say that, yes, people do pick up resentments in meetings. They pick up resentments with other people in recovery. This isn't some magic wand whereby you do step four and five and suddenly everything's peachy. What step four and five is about is a great expurgation of that which has passed. You've still got to deal with the present and with what comes next. And the resentment thing is more about learning to deal with them in the same way as the whole program is about learning to deal with life in a way that we previously didn't. Because set four or five is what gives me a picture of what I used to do. And six and seven is then what enables me to learn how not to do it again. But of course, I still do it. I can get a resentment by walking around a corner. It's a question of whether I process it or not. And whether I deal with it or not. Every day on that road, I, well, I don't know what it's called. Ronnie, you driving is just guaranteed to produce resentment. People <laughs> well, drive. You know, there's two lanes, yeah? One for the normal people and then one. Is it the buses again? Slightly faster people or the people that want to take over. So you get somebody driving in the fast lane, chundling along, and you have to undertake them to get round them. It's just, and I have to. <laughs> And sometimes I'm just driving <laughs> in Birmingham is absolutely atrocious. I them and I look through the window and I give them a good look and then I think, no, oh, stop, they won't, they won't get out and back to you or something. So my driving resentments are just, when I shared with my sponsor yesterday, one of my biggest resentments was other drivers. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't understand why they don't indicate, why they can't work out what road position they need to be in, why yeah. they're the left-hand lane when they're turning right. Yeah. You know, just why they're going too slow or going too fast, just whatever, every other person driving. And one of my friends once said to me, why don't you just drive your own car? <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> okay, because I'm constantly going along going, you fucking this and you fucking that. And it's like, no one can hear you. And my car stereo got lifted a few weeks ago from outside the house. Unfortunately, I'd left the door of the car unlocked and someone had just gone in and pulled the car stereo out. To be honest, I didn't really cop that much of a resentment about it. I didn't get too upset about it. I was a bit pissed off, but I was just like, you know, I've done much, much worse things to other people. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So I've kind of tried to look at it from that angle. And I put on my gratitude this one morning that I was really grateful that I wasn't brimming with resentment and really furious and out there stomping around and throwing my toys out of the pram because I'd had my stereo stolen. My previous sponsor, well, I really love this man, he just put on there, maybe God wants you listening to him in the car and not music. <laughs> I'm like, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's been in the car with me, so he knows what I'm like. The only reason that I cop so many resentments in the car is because I can't hear God because I've got the music turned up loud and I'm shouting at everybody. It's part of it, but you know what's some truth in it, isn't it? <laughs> Quite possibly. I, yeah. I used to think that London was a crazy place to drive, and I, I was driving through there last week, in fact, and I actually believe they drive better than the Birmingham. Oh, 100%. couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, there was a steady pace. You could make a manoeuvre quite quickly, but people knew that you was probably going to make a manoeuvre, do you know what I mean? And we're all, yeah. There's more awareness on the road. 
These words today in Birmingham are just a nightmare. I guarantee you 100% that by the time I leave here and get home, I will have picked up at least one, possibly two or three developments on my back. And it's, it's guaranteed every single time. I, mean, I need to try and understand that I can drive and nobody else can. <laughs> and That's it though, isn't it, Ronnie? It's because there are other people driving. That's why you're getting resentment. Because other people are driving, and if it was just you, it wouldn't be a problem. The problem is, as well, actually, it is all my fault, because I like to go faster than the speed limit, and people drive to the speed limit, and I find that really annoying. I don't know why I like to go faster than the speed but, you know, a lot. I know that back in the day, it was one-tenth of the law, plus three or four or something, and then, then the speed camera catch. I've always gone on that. My dad taught me that. He said, if it's 44 miles an hour, you can do 44 to 47 miles an hour and the camera won't go off. So I've always done a bit extra. Some people stick to that limit. It's just a nightmare, especially on them 20 roads. 20 miles an hour. I mean, it's like, that's a walk. <laughs> but, yeah. Defiant to the core, on it. <laughs> it is my fault. Because if I was stuck to the speed limit, I probably wouldn't have any of the problems. What you said about just chanting along in the fast lane. I mean, there isn't a fast lane. There's like... The driving lanes and the overtaking lanes there's no fast or slow lane but it's like you know and i come up behind it but then i have to undertake no you don't not they're really. just bastards, they're <laughs> bastards they can see me coming and yeah. no one one of them assholes at speed so they should move out my way <laughs> no. don't they know who i think i am <laughs> how dare they not know who i think i yeah. am <laughs> what is it with these drivers not being able to mind read it's I'm just gonna not practice, on, is it? i'm going to practice sticking to the speed limit Mm. And I really am going to do that. I was probably saving fortune in fuel. What's the most ridiculous resentment you've ever had? Probably the one that I've got right now. <laughs> That's been simmering for two and a half years. I've never had resentment. Have you ever had one against an entire town, for example? <laughs> yeah. Or a brand name, or a bar of chocolate, or a fridge, or... Yeah, I'm... I'm... Still, I've got a massive resentment against Starbucks. I refuse to go into Starbucks just because they don't pay any tax in our country, which pisses me off. <laughs> yes. So I just bl- I point blank refuse to go into Starbucks. Yeah, McDonald's have probably got a pretty big resentment against. I don't like McDonald's. Really? What are they doing? Well, they just sell shit food. Uh, it's like cardboard, it's like pretend food, isn't it? You're eating it and you think, oh, I've got a Big Mac, I've got this, I've got that, I've got that. And you're eating it and it's like, it's just fabricated, not real food, isn't it? Whereas yeah. you go to, well, I'm thinking now, Burger King or something, and you get... They've probably got a resentment against them as well. Right. <laughs> like Coca-Cola. I ordered one of them double cheese grand things, right? It was like one ninety nine with fries. Fucking that shit, massive on the... I'm not joking, the smallest little thing came out. It was dry as fuck. But the smallest bit of ketchup on there, and I thought, this is a joke, but you know what? Well, you get what you pay for, didn't you? Yeah. He took his nose. <laughs> I have a dilemma for you. Dilemma? Ooh. Let's see what happens here. You become involved in local politics and are suggested to stand as an MP in an upcoming by-election. The tabloids start digging and publish a horrible article detailing certain allegations about your past. Do you A, deny everything, B, sue the newspaper for defamation of character, C, come clean and ask one of the more reputable papers to do an interview about your recovery, D, start an anonymous Twitter campaign in which you smear your opponents to distract attention from articles about you, or E, withdraw from the election. 
all of the above apart from E. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny actually because again on my spare before this one of the things that I was resentful at was that, like government and the Tories but just government in general mm. but then I had to realise that I don't have any sort of political clout because I don't do anything about it other than vote. I can go on demos, I can go on marches, so my part in that was, you know, I don't actually do any, I'm not politically active. I don't think I would ever stand for any kind of political position because I know what my past was like and I know they wouldn't even need to dig, they just need to like get a little brush and just dust off the top of my life. It it would be apparent that there was a lot of stuff that they could smirch me with. So yeah, if I was going to, I'd have to be complete. I stand on a platform of complete honesty from, mm. right from the outset. Absolutely, because yeah. Life, because of my previous lifestyle, there's no way I could get away with going, oh, yeah, vote for me because I'm a squeaky clean mm. community member. I'd have to... It'd be frightening, though, wouldn't it? If someone actually did that and stood on their, say, a recovery platform and everyone voted for them, <laughs> it would just be really surreal. Considering the amount of lying that goes on in politics, to have someone standing up there and being open about being in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> be a bad choice, though. I mean, but I think, yeah, for me, I would have gone in there open and I was in the first place. You just got to be honest, haven't you? There's no point in going in. I wouldn't like to have to pretend I'm something other than I am because today I'm happy with who I am. And it's like, why would I deprive myself of, you know, no, I've done it in work before, you know, you've gone in, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, and it's like, no, you know, well, you need to get the job, and not anymore, I'll give up lying, I give up trying to be something I'm not, and fortunately, I'm a definitely, definitely, definitely <laughs> re- yeah, recovering addict, a happy addict, whatever the same. this, even as a dilemma, okay, standing in that piece a bit extreme, but it's still about step four, isn't it, because... If I've made my peace with me in terms of what I did or didn't do, I did and didn't say, and what I'm responsible for, then I have no shame in that being known. There are certain things from my step four and five that I don't particularly want the world to know. But I don't feel any shame about it anymore. I don't feel any guilt about it anymore. I've made my peace with it and I've made my peace with God. It makes me chuckle when you see some of these MPs getting caught out in that way. Yeah. Did you smoke cannabis when you were in university? Well, I did, but I didn't breathe in. Didn't inhale, yeah. (laughs) Bill Clinton, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't inhale. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. But the intent was there, though, wasn't it? My old dealer used to sell to half the Tory party in (laughs) Northampton. Yeah. I'm sure there are many stories of that. Like for me, knowing what I know now through coming into recovery and doing step work and stuff, I couldn't do anything but be open and honest because it would just eat me up and I know where that ends up. Yeah. Yeah, just... There'd be that constant fear, wouldn't there, of like they're going to uncover something or... Yeah, yeah. Just waiting for one day you wake up and open a newspaper and there you are splashed all across it with... Yeah. Yeah. There's a cemetery of skeletons in my closet. Um, the thing so, is, once we face that, though, they don't seem as bad, do they? No, no. It's about moving on, isn't it? And, you know, rethinking and doing things differently for yourself and others. Absolutely. For me personally, I think I'd be more inclined to vote for someone who was that honest about the platform. If there was, a, yeah. there was an independent politician who came up and said, I'm going to represent you in Parliament, but by the way, I'm a 
you know, recovering drug addict and this is what I've done in my past, but I'm no longer doing it. And I'm going to be looking at things like treatment services and funding for, you know, help for local communities and stuff like that. In my opinion, they'd be more likely to be looking at issues that are relevant to the people in the community rather than just relevant to their yeah, and I think that is relevant. It startles me that there isn't more appropriate experience in politics because in the Canadian government, I remember being the example I was looking at recently, the Minister for Health is a doctor and the person running the economy is an economist. Whereas in this country, they don't seem to have to be qualified <laughs> in the subject concerned at all. They just have a qualification in politics how to become a politician. In other words, it's vague bollocks. How to become a politician is how to say something by not saying anything. And I think we undervalue experience in this country. Some of the politicians we've got, they, they start off as the Minister for Health and then they end up as the Minister for Defence and then they end up in the Treasury. And just like, hang on a minute, what is your actual qualification for doing any of these jobs other than the fact that you're an MP? Yeah, because a certain amount of people voted for you, you now qualified you know, Grant Chaps being a perfect example, Matt Hancock being a perfect example. Yeah. I wouldn't trust Matt Hancock to get a blowjob in a brothel with a pocket full of £50 notes and a free blowjob coupon book. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the man's been in charge of all sorts of departments and it's just like, well, what, you know, what do you qualify for? It is a moot point because where we're at, you can't work in a recovery setting without experience. And also, you can't work in a school without certain experience. You can't work and do certain other jobs without certain experience. And there's certain experiences you have to pick up in other jobs. But then we have a political spectrum that seems to require no other qualification or experience than being an MP, which I think is a slightly perverse thing about our society, really going to a particular school or knowing a particular people isn't it it's got absolutely nothing yeah. to do with education skill set intelligence emotion and imagine if recovery was run like that and we just had someone who knew someone yeah well my mate dave on the bins his brother had a problem with boo so i know what to do <laughs> we have an awful lot more dead alcoholics and addicts on our hands obviously ronnie and i were talking the other week about the actual government policies that they're trying to implement over addiction and, and what they're trying to do to improve services. And going through the documentation, it was quite clear that all the stuff was about crime, wasn't it? Yeah, it's more crime orientated than it's to. It's all about we will reduce crime and then we'll do something about addiction, not the other way around. Yeah, it, so it is the problem. The drug services. It used to be run by, you know, a variety of different people, Westminster Drug Project, Drugs Link, Drugs Line, all these various different. And they were all kind of people who were in recovery and they were started by people who were interested in helping people to recover. Mm -hmm. Then when it went out to tender and they put it all under one umbrella, it got taken on by CRI, which was actually called the Crime Reduction Initiative. So it's like, well, hang on a minute. What you've done is you've taken all these people who are really unwell and you've lumped them all under the criminal umbrella. People who've never stolen anything in their lives, they just have a problem with alcohol, are now, you know, going into a place to get help where they're being helped by people who Demonizing. are crime reduction people. Yeah. It's like, well, hang on, you just demonised everybody that drinks alcohol problematically. They've only changed the name of it just to remove that stigma, but it's still that same mentality of anyone who's got a drug or alcohol problem is technically a criminal. Whereas if you look at the Portuguese 
kind of model, how they've done yes. it. All the money that they spend on policing that criminal activity is now spent on treating Absolutely, people. Yeah. I do actually know people who go to Portugal just because they know they can get away with taking drugs. Yeah. I think that's sort of adding to the problem a little bit. I guess that's the same in Holland, though, isn't it? No one I know went to Holland to see the bulb fields. No, no. <laughs> they might have seen no. it as a, an indirect result of being there, but that's not their primary purpose for coming there, is it? No. I'm going to go look at some flowers and windmills. It's like, I want to go out there because I know I can get drugs and I'm not going to get a rack of it. I've been really on this graffiti up the train. You know, but you have asked for this, you do want to get stoned. You know what I mean? Oh, it's quite nice here, really, in some parts. The Heineken factory, is it Heineken factory? Yeah, the Heineken factory. Oh, it's nice. Little pubs, an Irish pub. They've got lots of Irish pubs over there. I love the food. So there's that, yeah, obviously, drug tourism is already quite a big business isn't it yeah especially in holland i did notice actually in holland that the the information around certain drugs like if there's bad batches of stuff it was more health orientated yeah rather than yeah the crime or yeah 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 looking after you know this this shit going on here don't stay away from that stuff that's the thing though isn't it it's like people are uneducated and people die because of lack of education around this stuff we see it as a criminal failing and it's like we're actually you know it's a health issue we have run out of time believe it or not gents can we go back to the crime health thing next week and maybe look from the other angle and rather than ronnie us unpicking what's not happening here what about we look at what happens in portugal in holland or wherever because i've never really looked at that in detail and I think it might be of some use. I don't know what you think. That'd be very interesting. Yeah, I think it's worth doing. But as it is, we have yet again, well, I suppose it's, you know, get a bunch of people in recovery talking about resentment and it could go on forever. <laughs> resentment corner every week. I've got resentment that it's come over so quickly, man. I can't believe it's finished. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, I will obviously be back next week. I will probably be back in the office tomorrow morning, in fact. It's just unfortunate I've had to do all of this online stuff. Anyway, if this has resonated with you in any way or affected you in any way or affected anyone you know, anyone you love, anyone you think you know, anyone you don't quite know, anyone you imagine you know, their cat or their caretaker or their temporary au pair or whoever it is, then there is help out there. You can Google it, you can find phone numbers, you can find websites. Not everything costs money, although unfortunately a lot of things do. Or even if you're just recovery curious and you want to carry on listening to us, please do. We're on Facebook as Flat Out Recovery and we're also on Twitter as Flat Out Recovery. Have a wonderful week and a wonderful weekend and we'll be back next week. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank you, Gareth. Thank you, Aaron. Good night from me. See, yeah, anyway.